kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? And joining me on the line in the co-host chair, it's sitting in a bar in Adelaide's own, Mount Barker's own, Michael Persh. Good evening, Michael. Hi, David. How you going, mate? Great pleasure to be here. Always uh, always great to uh, to be on the show. And although Morris has deserted us for the night, we shall keep the flag flying. Very much so. And uh, we've got a couple of absolutely fantastic albums to look forward to. We've got uh, In the Mountains of Madness by Blackfeather and Avalanche's 1976 album, so some fantastic listening. And, of course, we've got Eric Reanimator stuck there somewhere in between. Been out seeing many gigs of late there, Michael. Well, the last last one I saw was Radio Birdman. Do you remember them from, from the late 70s? Not from the late 70s, but I do remember seeing them in 2000s when they had uh, their reformation. Oh, they, yeah, okay. A little bit young to... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, caught them first time, but definitely aware of uh, all of their music and the fantastic influence that they had on uh, the Australian music scene throughout the late '70s and uh, early '80s. Yeah, and and they're all uh, they're all looking a bit old, but they were sensational. The the uh, the Governor Hindmarsh is is our equivalent in Adelaide, probably of the Corner Hotel in uh, in Melbourne, and it was packed, and they were sensational. They uh, they were. As as you would expect, there wasn't a lot of banter between tunes, which which they never did. But they uh, they were all very cool, and the uh, the average age of the audience was about sixty. Which hey, but it was yeah, they they were fantastic as always. So it was good fun. Uh, ex- excellent to hear that they're in such fine form. I have actually uh, graced uh, the Governor Hindmarsh Hotel, and certainly yes, I agree that it is very much corner hotel like. One thing that. I found amusing about it was uh, the last drinks somewhere like half an hour or an hour before the venue actually shut itself. So you had to <laughs> buy up your drinks uh, fairly big before the last of the music was played, and and the night was pushing to a close like that. It's it's a it's an interesting gig because it's the room is is sort of long and skinny as you know, and and if it's packed and busy, it's quite often it's just too damn hard to even get to the bar. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, the wonders of our own local local water of whole establishments. Well, I guess they're making their money from their tickets. They don't need to. They don't need to uh, make their money from the bar. I guess. So, what about you, mate? You seen anyone interesting lately? No, I haven't. Haven't had uh, that much of a chance to actually get out and uh, see terribly many gigs. The last band that I saw was uh, a band called Totally Mild, and mm. they they're doing some fantastic stuff of late. I haven't heard of those guys. I'll have to Google them. Ah, very much so. All right, now, well, I 
think we might um, take a quick little commercial break and then we'll move on to our first album and it's going to be my choice uh, going up first and that's going to be Black Feathers in the Mountains of Madness. So we'll catch you all on the flip side. Tim and Bernie every month as they discuss music-related movies. iTunes, Facebook or download direct from seehere.podbeam.com The See Here Podcast. It's a blast. Far out. And welcome back to Love That Album. And now we're going to kick off with our uh, first album to review tonight, and that is Black Feathers in the Mountains of Madness. Michael, do you have any memories of this album that you wish to share with the audience? Uh, only that I'm that I'm going back and having a listen, mate. It was... Um... I'd forgotten most of it. I was aware of it, but I haven't listened to it for so long. And, and of course, Black Feather, everyone will remember their Bop and the Blues sort of hit. And, and this is so different, isn't it? And it's it made, made me sort of realise how much great psychedelic music there was coming out of Australia in the very early 70s. But I'm really interested to, to see, you're a, you're a much younger fella than I. How did you discover these guys? I guess it was a, a case of seeing the fraternity version of ah, okay. uh, Seasons of Change. Yeah. And from that, I was able to peg my way back to the original version. And I was uh, speaking with Morris about what I was going to do for the next show that I was on with him. And he actually suggested, oh, why don't we have a look at uh, what's on the Aztec label? He was going to choose something from Spectrum or their spin-off band, The, the Mertzeps. And my eyes instantly focused upon this album in the Mountains of Madness, so I decided to give it a listen, and I was just absolutely blown away with what was presented before me. Very good. Well, we, yeah, and it's it's great that uh, Aztec do such a great job of putting out this stuff, and uh, you know, it's this this isn't a classic example. It's been out of print on vinyl forever, and to be able to go back and and get you know, great albums, and they do such a good job. So, uh, yeah, all credit to them. They do wonderful things. And it is also fantastic to see that Neil Johns is still gigging around and uh, still pulling out a lot of this material at gigs. Absolutely, yes. Uh, and he must be he must be no spring chicken either. He'd be well into his 70s, and uh, I believe he had a career there as a chiropractor. Is that right? I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, so uh, another... 
another musician who went down a sort of medical-ish path, uh, seeing as you were talking about Radio Birdman earlier. Yeah, absolutely. In- interesting, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's uh, shall we uh, shall we kick off? Yeah, certainly. Starting off with the opening track at the Mountains of Madness, the title track, we're introduced to the scene of the album, the the feel of the narration, uh, to a nice quiet sort of guitar sound that's running along and then it transitions all at once into this time signature changing loud epic throbbing madness inducing melee of sound is that what sort of uh, hits you when you listen to this first track yeah absolutely it's just crazy soon i became tired so i sat down under a tall shady tree fell asleep. Suddenly I woke and everything around me had changed. I looked up and I knew I was there at the mountains of madness. Listened to the to this one, I thought, because like I said, it's been a long time since I've actually listened to the album, and I thought, do I remember this correctly? Did I really like it or not? But it grows on you. It sort of captures you, and and again, it, it took me back to thinking about some of the other great bands that were were around at the time. And, and you mentioned Spectrum, and Spectrum totally jumped into my mind as soon as I heard this first tune, because they, you know, they're known for "I'll Be Gone" and and you know things that aren't sort of a bit left field but a lot of their albums were were very psychedelic so there's a there's a real back in this time there was a real trend in Australia to make great psychedelic music and and I, I'm not sure how many people remember that but it's it's great that, that we can go back through Aztec music and and rediscover it and also through the world of YouTube you can certainly look up Australian progressive rock albums of the era and it just seems there, there was a little epoch sort of around 1968 through to 1973 or thereabouts where you were either a prog rock band or you weren't playing anywhere, it, it seemed. And yeah, it's true. It, it seems to have been bookended, I'd suggest, by the likes of the Master's Apprentices at the start of the era and perhaps uh, finishing up with, say, ACDC and the, the likes of your Sherbet's Skyhooks. Mm. as the the next generation and wave of sound. Yeah, and, and there was lots of great bands around at the time, like Tamim Shud from Sydney, and and yeah, the 
I'd sort of really forgotten how much great progressive rock there was made in uh, in Australia. But this is this is really up there. It's really and the the opening tune is sort of you know heavy concept and uh, it's a fairly heavy theme. And it's got a to me it's got a bit of a, a sort of Frank Zappa feel about it. Yeah, it, it does. And also the the transition from the quiet narration through to the the throbbing, absolute pulsating madness just racing through your head. Mm, it, mm. it really does have a huge differential to it. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great opening tune. Moving on to the next track, On This Day That I Die. Absolutely, and and he is a great singer, and and again, you know, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but he he gigs around Melbourne still reasonably often, but he's one of those guys that for me just disappeared. So it's you know, and I, I know he's still out there. So uh, you know, it's a shame he doesn't tour around. I guess it's the logistics of touring around, and I I guess he's getting up in uh, in years as well. Yeah, and I I suppose um, there are some people in this world who have a life outside of music. Mm, yeah, absolutely. But for, for me, mate, and I'm not sure if you agree how much that Neil Johns, on this album in particular, sounds like Mike Rudd from Spectrum. They've got very similar voices. Yes, they do. But on this particular track, I was thinking that they were listening to the likes of While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly the, the rising, soaring vocals, the... Do have that um, reminiscent type feel of of the O'Paul bit? Absolutely, I, I, I didn't think about that, but I, yeah, now that you mention it, I, I totally agree. <laughs> it, it's a fairly heavy. It's it's a. Oh, I guess the album in general is fairly heavy at first listen. It's probably a bit scary, but uh, it's. I think it's one of those things you you've got to give it time and let it grow on you. And this and this tunes is one of those as well. Yeah, the, the repeated listens to On This Day That I Die, uh, I suppose the the deep philosophical meaning of knowing that your life's about to end and the way that you're going to live your life on the last 24 hours that you've got on the planet. Mm, yeah, it's a barrel laughs, the theme of the tune, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Moving on to the third track, Seasons of Change. Oh, 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 oh,
It's amazing how it's survived the test of time. And I, and I know that's because of the connection with fraternity and, and Bon Scott and, and all that. But um, it's just got a, a life of its own, that tune. It, it keeps on popping up. I remember oh, a few years ago, I, I, I buy um, Classic Rock magazine from the UK. And, and it quite often has a you know a CD of, of sort of obscure tunes on it. And this was on it. And I'm thinking, you know, this is... 30 years ago and they're still trotting it out that's really very cool yeah it is is one of those songs that just really is timeless it has so much going on with it it has the strings the layering the acoustic guitar playing underneath it really does uh, sound fantastic and really really fresh how would you just say this compares to the fraternity version it's it's quite different, but it's yeah, it's and it, I like both of them, but I, I I don't know about I think most people heard the or certainly here in Adelaide heard the fraternity version first, so it sort of makes it interesting to go back because I, and I guess the fraternity version has been played a lot over recent years, you know, since Bond Scott passed away, but but that was a number one hit here in Adelaide, so that's you know that's that's amazing, really. Yeah, whereas this one a couple of months later got as high as about number 15 in the charts so it's one of those rare circumstances where you had both songs more or less at the same time in the charts at once and there's only a very few songs that seem to have had that occur yeah absolutely but i don't think the fraternity version was much of a hit anywhere else but adelaide i i could be wrong listeners if i'm wrong uh, write in and let me know <laughs> well, it, it, it won them Battle of the Bands, and I, I guess uh, in the case of this Blackfeather version, it it did have uh, Bon Scott on the um, recorder and uh, John uh, Bisset on uh, the electric piano as well. So uh, it did have uh, two of the fraternity members playing on it. Yeah, it's interesting, and and I guess it still happens today. There was there was really a, a lot of camaraderie between bands back in those days, and 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 Melbourne was you know Australia's equivalent of London back in those days in the in the seventies because every band in the country came to to Melbourne because Melbourne was just so far ahead of everywhere else, and the music industry was just yeah nuts compared to every any other place in Australia. Do you think the support of the local radio had much to do with the success of bands throughout uh, Melbourne? Absolutely. And and also here in Adelaide, mate, because, you know, bands like Fraternity and, and local bands at that stage got a lot of airplay. And, um, you know, there was, they, they, 
they would bring them in and, and chat to them on the radio. So, you know, back 10 years before that, in the, you know, the the sort of early 60s, that didn't really, from what I understand, that really didn't happen. And Australian songs didn't get that much exposure. Or bands didn't get that much exposure. So I think it made a huge difference. Another contributing factor would have been uh, the opening hours of pubs being extended and pubs suddenly having to uh, provide entertainment for people at night. Yeah, but but also, um, and I, I'm too young to really, you know, be to be there. But but guys like you know, and I, I've spoken to, I haven't actually spoken to Neil Johns on the, on my interview program, but you know, guys from that sort of era, all the all the clubs back in those days weren't licensed; they were open, but you couldn't drink. So people went there just purely to see the music and hang out. So you know that that wouldn't happen now. That's you know, I reckon that's amazing when you really think about how how things have changed. Or was there anything else that they were able to sell? Were they selling meals? Were they? <laughs> I think it was. I think they. You know, it was. It was fairly low key. Whatever they. Whatever they did. I think it was just. They were purely just to for people to go and see music. Which, yeah, which was you know was at that time was was rife all around the world. But it's it certainly ain't like that no more. No, and it's certainly very much uh, odd to think about in uh, in terms of the late opening hours that we've got nowadays and just the, the sh- uh, sheer distribution, I suppose, of poker machine venues now. Mm. But I don't, I don't know. I think, in, you know, if I come to Melbourne reasonably often, mate, and, and here in Adelaide, that's starting to turn around. There is, I could go out pretty much any weekend and see great bands play um, and have a choice, you know, even here. And I know in Melbourne that's you've, you've got stacks of choice. So that's a good thing. I think in the last... You know, maybe ten years—it's really turned around again. Yeah, no, that—that that is very true. However, there isn't quite the level of radio support anymore. No, well, radios, radio, um, yeah, yeah, commercial radio is just not not anything like it was. So, well, but um, yeah, that's why fellas like me do community radio, so we can uh, we can play the stuff that no one else plays, <laughs> for better yeah, or worse. The, the stuff that you love and the stuff where you can get people on the show to talk about it. Absolutely. <laughs> Loving your work there. Now, I've got a personal connection to uh, this song, uh, Seasons of Change. Mm-hmm. Do you ever listen to the work of Greek Champion and the Could Have Been Champions? Love them. Love them indeed. Well, I had Song of the Year in 2014. It was a ditty to the tune of Seasons of Change. Sensation. all of a sudden, people... From everywhere started sending in parodies to this song so i remember them doing that hopefully we'll be seeing uh seeing my song bob up on a, a compilation album soon and i'll be contributing to the retirement fund of mrs uh, robinson and john's in years to come sensational fantastic i <laughs> um the could have been um do they still do their sunday night program it used to be national but i i don't know no. if they even do it anymore no, no more the Sunday night program. Yeah, that's a shame. Uh, because crowded, crowded out by the soccer. Yeah, that sucks because they were so good. And their, their footy show was great and I love their footy show, but their Sunday night program was, was absolutely great. I loved it. Yeah, and I suppose you quite enjoy listening to the music of Mr Champion every week. <laughs> absolutely. Well, he's an ex-Adelaide fellow. We've got to, got to be nice to him. 
And he he's the one who sings your beloved Adelaide Crows theme song. He does indeed. And uh, we we won't remind people in Melbourne that they are third on the ladder at the moment. But <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Despite the fact that half of your team comes from my team. <laughs> well, you you must be a Carlton supporter. You got it in one, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well we've, Adelaide's been propping up Carlton forever, mate. The Coonahan and all those lads, so... Um, yeah, what goes around comes around. <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> Alrighty, we'll, we'll move on to the last track of uh, side one of this album, Mango's Theme. Orchestration is is sort of out of the blue, isn't it? It's it it sort of hit me as you know it's it's a real sort of left turn for for where the uh, the album's been. But uh, and and the really heavy heavy guitar, it's like whoa, <laughs> it's it, it it's a bit grating for. But when you actually listen to it again, it works really well. But it's it's quite confronting. Yeah, it sounds really a lot like uh, Spanish Caravan by the Doors to me. So I was trying to think what it reminded me of. You're right. And it it has that ability to show off the guitar ability of John Robinson. And it's really the first track of the whole album where it's like, this is the guitar song. Mm, yeah. It, guitar solos had been relatively quiet up until this point in the album. And... I I was sort of thinking it would make a great soundtrack for a like a spaghetti western or something. What do you reckon? Oh yes, <laughs> very much so. But it's it's a yeah, it's an interesting song, and that Doors tune, good pickup because I was trying to think what it reminds me of, and it, it, you're exactly right. Yeah, it it just has that real sort of wandering, uh, almost flamenco and oriental feel all rolled into one, and it was. Uh, it instantly reminded me of uh, the sound of the doors. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, so we'll flip over the LP now. <laughs> the fantastic long-legged lovely seven and a half minutes of absolute gorgeousness. What struck you about this 
partidas. sort of the the middle part where it sort of goes off on a tangent is really interesting it, it's sort of it's like a pop song goes off into this psychedelic sort of craziness and then comes back again <laughs> yeah it seems to be the way that they finished uh both of the final two tunes on this album was to play the song go away for half an hour and then oh we were playing this song originally and to finish it triumphantly with the main theme yeah, yeah, which which works really well, but it, you don't sort of hear that so much. It's but it's I guess of the time it's it was a, a, a you know not so uncommon. Yeah, and a very very strong uh, standing riff there. Absolutely. The uh, did it remind you of anything at all? No, not really. Not not that sort of sprung to mind. But seeing you made such a great pickup with the Doors, I'm sure you've got one. Oh, I definitely do. <laughs> uh, Buddy Miles with Jimi Hendrix, then changes. Yeah, I can hear that. Yeah, cool. And, um, yeah, the really driving blues riff. It really does have a big similarity. Mm. Yeah, yeah, dead right. Interesting. And our final track for the album being uh, The Rat Suite. Almost 14 minutes worth of song here. It's a crazy song. <laughs> Certainly, um, you can tell the production on this one's perhaps a little bit dated in comparison to the rest of the album. But I think the themes 
of this song are really strong. Definitely the guitar work, the instrumentation is just fantastic. Absolutely, and it's it's this is real for me. This is very Frank Zappari. Do you agree? Oh, I'd have to agree with you on that. And I'm not sure how how much you know that would have influenced these guys. Frank Zappa was well known back in those days, but but I'd, yeah, it would be really interesting to talk to the guys from 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 the band and, and see sort of what you know what influences came to them for this because I can hear so many things from from years after this that you know maybe even this album influenced so it's it's really interesting yeah it's interesting that way when you're looking at an album like this in retrospect and you go oh they've copied that idea from there and then you you look it up and you go oh hang on this was album before and as it proceeds that one by at least five years absolutely <laughs> there, there were times where i was looking through the songs and going, oh yeah, that sounds a bit like that. Oh, hang on, it predates it. On the whole, I believe that the album itself stands up extremely well. It's very, very much worth a, a listen. And have you got any other thoughts on the album itself, Mark? Uh, David, like I said uh, when we started that chat, it, it's an album that you've got you've to gotta give time to. You've got to sit down and, and listen to it and maybe listen to it again. And uh, it, it is pretty confronting on your ears but it's uh, it it grows on you and if you have any you know interest in in this sort of genre of music it's um yeah it's great stuff certainly one of the very high points of a very interesting phase of australian music yeah absolutely and it was interesting what sort of became of the black feather group after this album was released Totally different, isn't it? Amazing how a band could change so much. Yeah, well, there's, there's a few examples of bands that really did modify their, their sound over the years. I'm, I'm thinking in recent years there was uh, the English band Underworld that started out as a rock band and then became an electronica band. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. UB40 started off as uh, one type of band, ended up being a... Uh, reggae band <laughs> but uh blackfeather yeah they they had a similar sort of transition from being this prog rock band to a very much pop based uh sound i suppose you'd say yeah the the, the change is chalk and cheese and and a lot of people are and i think morris has had mentioned that that he's he's not a big fan of the um of the pop band but really wasn't aware of this album much so you know, maybe it's uh, maybe it's a lost classic, mate, that we're bringing to the world. Uh, very much so, and <laughs> hope that everybody out there really does enjoy their listening to it. Absolutely, highly recommend it. We'll go off now to uh, have a listen to Eric Reanimator's uh, segment, and we'll catch up uh, in about ten minutes' time to talk Avalanche. Take it away, Eric, the orchestra leader. I want two. I want two key four. Now it's time for an album I love with Eric Reanimator. Alive, ED, a one, two, three, Eric the Reanimator. 
segment I'm going to be talking about the 1993 album by Dead Can Dance entitled Into the Labyrinth. When I listened to and thought about Black Feathers at the Mountains of Madness album I was thinking prog rock, I was thinking different sounds, I was thinking epic, big, ambitious and Dead Can Dance is what came to mind. Now I had already selected this album for coverage at some point this year and with this album, it just kind of felt like this is what I should match it up with. Formed in 1981 in Melbourne, uh, Dead Can Dance, an Australian band that has had its sound described as constructed landscapes. It's noted for its African polyrhythms, Gaelic folk chant, and Middle Eastern mantra style, along with a dose of art rock. My first contact with them came via the goth scene, in particular a young lady that I went to college with who was uh, a fan of that stuff, of that style of music. Um, yeah, I'm not really going to say too much about her because that's a long, boring, stupid story. But suffice it to say, she did get me to pick up this album when it came out. I bought my copy at the long gone now Tower Records here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I don't have a lot of stuff from uh, that era still left in my collection. There's some, st- There are some things, but not a whole lot. For some reason, this record has stayed with me. It stayed with me through a purge of my collection, a move to another state, a move back from another state. I've held on to this copy since 1993, so it must be a great record, right? Well, let's check it out. And 
harder still to bear the shame of foreign chains around us. And so I said, the mountain glen, I'll meet at morning early, and I'll join the bold united men while soft winds shook the barley. Was said I kissed away her tears, my fond arm round her Sagacious Solomon, you know what came of him. To him, complexity seems plain. He cursed the hour that gave birth to him and saw that everything was there. As I said, my original intent was, hey, progressive and epic and all of those things. And when I listen to At the Mountains of Madness, there's a certain chaos to it, a certain jangle that you don't find in Into the Labyrinth. This is a different kind of a maze. This is a different kind of progressive. This is more precise, but at the same time, more reflective, more inward-looking, more more dealing with the natural chaos of the world and very much reflecting nature, very much reflecting uh, the natural world, talking about wind and talking about creatures and all of those kinds of things. I know when it comes to Love That Album, I tend to be the guy that does the punk rock or the country or Tim and I talk about some weird-ass album with crazy noises and uh, all that kind of stuff. But this is something different. This is this is the the side of me that kind of leans towards that soundscape, that almost kraut rock stuff, that that kind of folk roots, but not Americana, not country rock and roll roots. More like ethnic roots, you know, the Gaelic and the the African rhythms and all of those things I mentioned earlier. This really is a beautiful album, and I have a very fond memory of sitting up with my friends to watch 120 minutes on MTV when we lived in the dorms. So this was probably 94, 93, late 93, late 94, something like that. They were going to premiere a video off of this from uh, from this album. You know, that was unheard of in those days. And I don't even remember how we heard this was going to happen because the internet wasn't really a thing. But MTV, 120 minutes, Sunday night, just before the school week was going to start we would all gather in somebody's room and we would watch these videos maybe for one or two acts and this was one of the ones we definitely looked forward to and the song they picked in the video were just brilliant it was it was simple it was beautiful it was haunting it was the kind of thing that they left until the end of the show so you know one o'clock in the morning almost maybe you know past one almost and this comes on this is eric 
Reanimator. This has been an album I love, and I hope you guys dig it. This is The Carnival is Over by Dead Can Dance. I'll catch you all next time. It's amazing. They were, they were sort of the house rock band for uh, for Australian music in the, in in that era in the seventies, and and amazing. And very very solid musicians at that too. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 the the guys from from Avalanche that you know they only made one album. It's a real shame, but 
you know, Jeff Cox, the drummer, is probably the will, the most well-known guy. He went on to, to sort of be, you know, a well-known uh, performer, but the other guys sort of just disappeared, which is a real shame. Well, Tony Naylor... Um, oh, he's still kicking around in Melbourne, isn't he? Yeah, and uh, he ended up in uh, Baxter Fun. That's right, with um, uh, John, English. John English. Yes, indeed. And what a fantastic guitar player he is, still. Absolutely amazing. And I think he plays with, is it Colleen Hewitt, I think, maybe these days? He's still, he's still, oh. play, he's still playing around Melbourne quite a lot. Yeah, and I'm just wondering what made you decide to pair this album up with uh, my choice of In the Mountains of Madness? Well, mate, I, I just thought that the, the, one, the, the Black Feather album was a bit of a, you know, a lost... A lost classic, a lost Australian classic, and I thought, well, yeah, this one is a bit as well because it's, yeah, sort of, they were well known at the time for a very brief period, you know, did the countdown thing and and all that, but just disappeared, which is a real shame. But it's a, it's the album is, you know, it's it shows its age as we spoke about before we came on, but it's still a great album. It's great music. Yes, certainly. It's uh, 11 tracks and there's not a dud one to be had. Uh, I was absolutely blown away that here's a Melbourne band that, other than sort of the main single, I hadn't really heard anything of before. And upon listening to the album, I just sort of go, well, what's our local uh, Classic Hits Radio been doing the past few decades by not playing this one? Yeah, true. Well, I don't think... I haven't heard any of the tunes played on it forever. And it's... Yeah, which is a bit sad, because it's... Yeah, they are really good, you know, great songs. Uh, Well, speaking of the songs, we might as well kick off with the first track, Bermuda Triangle. To me, and I'm obliged to tell the world... Yeah, absolutely. And Clive Harrison, uh, Adrian Campbell, sorry, mental blank. What a great singer. He's just fantastic. And and he was, to my knowledge, I didn't know anything about him before, and I haven't heard much about him since. But, yeah, man, could he sing. Oh, could he ever. For mine, it's really the driving bass line that stands out on this track, as as the whole rhythm section does throughout the album. It, It really does stand up well. Absolutely. Well, um, as I said, Jeff Jeff Cox was was one of Australia's most loved drummers, and and he's he's you actually he he actually a TV personality these days. I think he does a like a travel show uh, on Foxkill. Big break. That's the one. There you go. That's 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 the dude. And he he did a lot of a lot of sort of session stuff, and and if you know he filled in for the Little River Band. He's an absolute great drummer. Yeah, well, I suppose uh, they started out with Brian Cad before this album came out, 
And after this album came out, he went on to play with Brian Cadd's touring band. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, again, just, and he had, it was unusual, I guess it still is, for, you know, the one of the focal points of the band to be the drummer. But he really was, you know, in a lot of the bands he was in, the star of the show. Very much so. I, I think it's the unique appearance, the facial hair, <laughs> and the big personality that comes with him. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a, Certainly a, a, a certainly a character. Very much so. Track number two, The Wizard of Love. For me was was sort of one of the first ones that caught my eye i think i think this got played a reasonable amount on the radio here in adelaide and i'm i'm guessing in melbourne so yeah again a, a great sort of sets the tone for the album i reckon it shows what a as you said before david a, the most solid rhythm section and the, the band's just so good yeah, well, this this was really the single of the album, and it actually did uh, have some chart success in the United States, of all places. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, apparently it was top 40 over there. Really? Where? Yeah, yeah. lower runs to the top 40, but still top 40 nonetheless. That's amazing. I did not know that. Cool. Yeah, and it really does have a mix of that sort of Sherbet LRB-type feel with, I suppose, a bit of a hint of the Who's Pimple Wizard thrown in. Mm, mm, yeah, it's... The, I think I, I never got to see the band live, and I, and I was only sort of, you know, probably 13, 14 years old, and, and they only played, you know, in clubs here in Adelaide. But I, I got a feeling that, you know, live they would have just been such a tough band. Although, you know, the, the recordings are good, and they've captured, I think, a fairly live feel, but I think live they would have been just sensational. I get the feeling that live they would have blown you away. They do seem to make use of the studio pretty well. Plenty of double guitar lines throughout the recordings and use of the abilities of the studios as they were in that era. Mm, absolutely. And Tony Naylor, again, as I said before, is a sensational guitar player. And and, and we, we, we mentioned this with, with Blackfeather, mate, how they were before before their time musically but if 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 folks google a picture of avalanche back then and have a look at tony naylor's guitar and the 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 artwork he's done up with the stripes and all that stuff and then go about three years later and see that eddie van halen stole it from him (laughs) (laughs) i think eddie was probably at home in his bedroom practicing painting and doing all of that thing by himself but it, it really cracked me up when I when I saw Van Halen the first time. So I thought to myself, Tony Naylor did that ages ago. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Track three of the album, Annie.
interesting thing about the album too there is some sort of sweet nice ballads on it so they were a very versatile band and and yeah i'd love to hear from anyone that's listening that got to see them play because i i guess they they played a lot of covers as well to sort of fill out their set but but i, I think even songs like any live would have been a great sort of you know sing-along sort of tune oh it would have been cigarette lighters in the air for sure <laughs> That was that was that was that era indeed. Or, or mobile phones out? Oh, no, maybe not, not. hardly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the vocals very much electric light orchestra in terms of the sound. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, I, I, I didn't pick that, but I see. I, you've come. I guess you, I, I, you know, I, I heard the album as it came out. And and you've gone back to it, and and you're hearing different things. But that's really interesting, mate. And I, I guess of the time, that was a lot of music that was around at the time. But yeah, I, I wouldn't have picked that up. But I'm going to go back and have another listen to that tune. <laughs> yeah, track four, overnight sensation. It's a great tune, isn't it? It's just the as you said, I think you said, David. There's there's not really a bum tune on this album. They're all really consistent, strong songs. All I ever wanted was a hit record. All I ever wanted was a catchy hook. A funky intro into a high-energy chorus. Cynical like scut, like skyhooks. Making out it was all so funny. Must have done it for love. Cause it didn't make much money. And Clive Harrison is is quite a songwriter. He's he was a bass player, an interesting character. And and if you look at you know anything from the bootleg band back in those days, he was always there as well. And I, I've really lost track of him. I, I hope he's still uh, he's still with us on the planet. But I'm uh, I'll have to chase him up and see if he's still uh, still around because he was uh, he was a character. But uh, you know this is a, an example. What a great songwriter he uh, he was. And, and Bermuda Triangle, the the first track, is another one of his. Yeah, we might have to uh, get the Avalanche uh, Reformation tour happy. <laughs> oh, that would be uh, that would be a hoot. That would be. I'd love to chase the guys up and and say good day. And I have tried to uh, to chase Coxie up in 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 previous years, but I've I sort of I've forgotten about him. But this will rekindle my enthusiasm to go chasing him. Yeah, there's uh, another bit of interesting information that I was able to dig up. The groove from this song was sampled by Cool G Rap and it was used in the film Colours, starring Sean Penn. Really? Yeah. Wow. And the drum beat was later used by the notorious B.I.G. and Method Man for their track The What of Biggie's debut album Ready to Die. Far out. That's unbelievable. So yes, so really the so, so so that means to me that there were that this you know, Avalanche got people listening to them in the US much more than I thought they did. Yeah, and certainly for artists to be able to pick up and lift some of their music in, in this method. Yeah, unbelievable. I, uh, I'll, I'll, you've, given, you've given me about a week's worth of Googling. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, 
Track five, tie your laces. And and this would have been another one, a great, a great, a great live, a live one, I I would think. But it also shows how great the band were. You know, a, a band which is just you know a rhythm section and one guitar, you're you're pretty limited in you know compared to what we listen to today. But it just works so well. They they were such a tight band, and this is a a classic example of just what a you know how that strong songwriting takes over everything it's it's you know that's how it shows how important a good song is good song good chords good vocals and great use of fuzz on the guitar absolutely yeah <laughs> and the final track of side one being landslide my my favorite my favorite i love this one yeah it was the second single it's, of uh, the album it's got such a cool groove hasn't it it's just uh, the rhythm section in this are just like it's just super cool. When it's a really good sing along song, and I, I'm showing my age, but I do remember seeing them do this on Countdown, and I, they, there may actually be a video kicking around on YouTube. I, uh, I'll have to go and have a look, but it would be cool if there is, because then people can actually see what these guys look like, because they were uh, they were pretty out there. They were a sort of ACDC. It would take a lot. band like you know adrian campbell would uh, was strutting around without a shirt on and all that sort of stuff so uh, yeah but i i love this song so acdc looking and skyhook sounding i guess so yeah I, I always thought that avalanche were were a lot more bluesy sounding and a lot more who can i who would i i'm not sure who i would sort of compare them to but they yeah for me they weren't they weren't as poppy if you know what i mean yeah they they sort of breached that uh, gap that you had between the hard rocking bands and the more poppy type sounding ones. Mm, and mm. I think it, it's a very nice niche that they do inhabit. And certainly as this album does show, it, it really is an enjoyable sound. Mm, absolutely. It's, yeah, like the, and this song, although the production is very 70s, it still sounds great. I, yeah, I love this song so much. I'll, I won't waffle any more about it. It is a, a killer. <laughs> So we'll flip on over to side two and introduce Barroom Ladies.
very sort of ballroom blitz in its feel, mm. I mm. felt. From talking about the last song too, David, it's Avalanche has got a sort of bit of a, a cold chisel feel to me. Does that sort of sit with you? Yes, it, it does indeed. You know, very early cold chisel, and, and I guess that was about the similar time both bands were around. The chisel... You know, hadn't recorded yet, but they were they were actually around at that time. So yeah, if I can playing under the name of Orange. I can't remember what year they what year they were played in. Um, they were playing in Adelaide as Cold Chisel. Cer- certainly in '76, I reckon they were. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of uh, that, wasn't wasn't Barnsley actually invited to play with Blackfeather? I'm not sure. I don't know. Could po- quite possibly. Yeah, I, I believe. I believe he was at, at the time when his brother John Swan, whose album uh, you covered mm. uh, in our previous show together, that's right, was part of the Black Feather Band. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Thoughts. So it, what, what sort of comes around goes around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's and and again, there was so much sort of camaraderie and, and changing of of members in those bands back then. And I guess it's sort of a community now, but. I, Maybe it was smaller and you and you noticed it more back in those days. I don't know. Hey, track two on side two, Spark in the Dark. Another one, Clive Harrison's songwriting on this album, although he didn't get, you know, the Tony Naylor got most of the singles, but he, you know, his his songwriting is so strong on this album, and I'm I'm amazed that he didn't go on and, you know, if he did keep writing songs after this album, they were certainly not on my radar, and I'm, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to sort of go and, and see what I can dig up, unless you've found something. No, I haven't found anything into what he's done there is also the other possibility that he had seven really good ideas and they're all here <laughs> on this album <laughs> yeah good one that's and that's 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 happened before but you never know yeah and uh, and i'm not really sure of the of the story why avalanche broke up or didn't continue i've you know that i know they didn't have big commercial success but but i do remember you know as i said i was too young to go and see them in clubs here in adelaide but they came here to play a lot so they must have been drawing crowds. They must have been doing okay. And, um, yeah, I, I'd love to chat with, with Coxie in particular, as I said, and uh, and pick his brains and, and, and fill in some gaps. But, you know, another another great tune. Yeah, very much harder rocking and plenty of guitar doubling mm, being yeah. used. I'm just wondering, did the uh, split in terms of uh, going off and working with Brian Cadigan and working with John English potentially lead to the demise of the band itself. Yeah, possibly. Possibly there was just more work to um, to be made and, and, you know, the if Avalanche wasn't... You know, and, may, and maybe their record contract wasn't renewed, obviously. Well, they didn't make a second album, so obviously it wasn't. So, yeah, I guess there were just, you know, other, other gigs for these guys to go and do, and that's why it fell apart, I guess. Very true. Track three, Closer to Love.
sort of reminded me a bit more Skyhooks type sound with a bit more rockabilly and a little bit of the Kinks' uh, sunny afternoon. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and again, it's got a great feel, and that, and that's what I I love about this album. The the rhythm section has a great feel, doesn't it? It certainly does. They're really tight all the way throughout, mm-hmm. and this album's just chock full of songs that really, really listenable and really enjoyable. Mm, absolutely. And I I found found this whole album to be a really good sort of driving album. So if you're on a long road trip. This one's a fantastic one just to whack the cassette into the tape deck and drive 100k with. Mm. And, and I'm pretty sure that Aztec have reissued this one. I've, I haven't actually gone and looked and I, I've got a I've got a ripped copy that I, that we shared to to get ourselves organised for this but I, and I've got the original vinyl but I've, I've got a feeling there's a CD around from through Aztec I think. Ooh. We'll have to keep our eyes open for this one. Yeah, absolutely. I'll have to go and check out their website and have a look. Something I need is the fourth track of Side 2, and it was probably my favourite track of the album. Got nothing on you. You put light on the road. In front of my shoe, you make Yeah, interesting. The guitar solo on this ballad is just exquisite. It is, and 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 again, Tony Naylor is, you know, we, we say what great guitar players we've got in Australia, the likes of Kevin Borich or someone like that, but Tony Naylor is up there with those guys. He is so good. Yeah, and I had, had a bit of a feeling with this song that it was perhaps derived a bit on the sound of the Turtles. Oh, yeah, yeah. A, a little bit sort of happy together type thing. Also, upon listening to it, it reminded reminded me of You and Me by Alice Cooper. However, this predates that by a, a couple of years. <laughs> Fantastic. There you go. Yeah, well, Alice Cooper was in town in 76, I reckon, from memory. So you never know. He might have plagiarised. <laughs> you never know. You never know. You hear something great in Australia, you can palm it off as your own in the States and nobody would be in either one. Well... Sad but true, mate. I have heard lots of examples of that happening. Which, yeah. No, well, that's 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 showbiz. Yeah, very true. And it's um, interesting. It's interesting that, that that's your favourite tune because it's not not a tune. You know, I like the tune, but it it's not one that really really stuck out for me. So that's really interesting, and I'm yeah interesting to to go back and revisit that. Yeah. And our our final tune of the album, Sweet Baby Brown Eyes.
and this was a this was a single as well. And and for me, the guitar solo on this is fantastic. It's, it's the, I love the song, but yeah, the guitar solo is just sensational. Yeah, a bit of a, a Led Zepp rock and roll type intro. Mm, yeah, very much so. And um, again, Tony Naylor is just rocking out playing the guitar. And and as a rhythm player, he's not only a fantastic lead player; he is a really hot rhythm player. And you know, as as good and in his own way, a, a distinctive sound. You know, as compared to to someone like Malcolm Young. And I and I so much wish that this band had carried on to see where they'd got. You know, they'd gone uh, to have one album to be so strong promised so much and it's yeah it's really sad that we never got to see where the band went but what a killer song to end up on yeah very much so and what a what a killer album a collection of 11 tracks that are are just mind-blowingly good and i've really got to thank you for introducing me to this one i'm I'm glad you uh, glad you enjoyed it and I, i really hope that well the a you know, there's people out there that remember it, or if if uh, you you know people's ears are pricked up a little bit to to go searching, it's it's definitely uh, out there and available. So yeah, it's a piece, a great little piece of forgotten well Melbourne rock and roll history. Yeah, and how it holds up in comparison to the likes of what your Skyhooks, your Sherbets were, your Little River Bands were doing at the same period of time. You can tell it's very much of that era in terms of uh, the recording technology and style of the singles. Mm, absolutely, and and it, as as we said, it, it does sound of its of its time, but it's to me it doesn't sound awful. It, it sounds the songs are so strong that it it overcomes the production from so long ago. Yeah, it it would be interesting to hear quite a number of these songs uh, reinterpreted or covered by uh, some other bands or to hear the band Avalanche themselves uh, play it 40 years later and what the sound would be like today. Mm, absolutely. I think they would rival any uh, any rock band in Australia of the, uh, of the, yeah, to, to play live. So, uh, yeah, that was I really enjoyed having another listen to it, mate, and it was it was a good excuse to me to go back and listen to it, and I uh, I really enjoyed going back to that Blackfeather album. I, um, as I said, I was familiar with it, but hadn't really given it a serious listen for so long. So, uh, yeah, thank you, mate. That was good fun. Yeah, no, I too really enjoyed it, and yes, thank you once again for introducing me to Avalanche. Uh, a pleasure, and... Uh, I will uh, I will take it on board to go and uh, go and chase them up and see if we can uh, see what's happened to the guys. That would be fun. I'd like to do that. Yeah, maybe something for future episodes of sitting in a bar in Adelaide. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I have a long list of of people I want to chase up, and and then you know things happen and I forget, and something else comes and 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 puts them back on the bottom of the list. And yeah, Cox, Jeff Cox has been on my list for uh, since I started the show to actually say good day to. So. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll put him back on the, on my priority list. Uh, great to hear. So, Michael, uh, what else have you had on your show sitting in the bar in Adelaide of late? I've got. Uh, I've actually just finished making a, a five part series of two hour episodes looking at ACDC in the nineteen seventies. So, uh, 
playing all those great old tunes, but I've caught up with, with Mark Evans, who was a bass player through most of those early albums. Michael Browning, who was ACDC's manager, who took them to the UK and to uh, the USA. And also uh, ACDC's original singer, uh, Dave Evans, who was a real character. So uh, I've had a lot of fun putting those together. So about 10 hours of stuff coming out very soon. Uh, so that's been keeping me very busy. It was good fun. Uh, my ears are going to be uh, well and truly busy. And uh, pl- plus, you had uh, a Skyhooks episode recently. I did, and I've, I've got I've I've got myself all enthused with doing these ACDC episodes. That before the end of the year, and I've started compiling it all. I'm I'm going to put together an attempt at doing the most comprehensive Skyhooks anthology on radio that's ever been made. So. I've I've started doing some scribbles and I think it's going to be about at least ten maybe twelve episodes. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to really dig out as much stuff as I can. So looking forward to doing that, but that's going to take me a little time. I don't know whether Red Simons has that much time available now. <laughs> well, no, true. <laughs> but I've I've got lots of archive stuff and I've 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 chatted to to Bob Spencer and Bob Starkey and over the years and um yeah so we'll uh, we'll dig up as much as we, and i've got a lot of archive stuff of Cheryl from uh, from the day so uh, hopefully i can do it justice and uh, yeah i'm looking forward to doing that but that's going to be a big job uh, wonderful to hear Alrighty, all i think i might uh, call this episode to a close it's been wonderful speaking to you michael and and you too mate it's been a great pleasure and we'll look forward to Eric Reanimator hosting the next episode of I Love That Album. And we'll look forward to hearing from you again in another podcast. We'll see you later. Cheers, Dave. Cheers, mate. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.